0: You know, this is kind of what Christmas is all about or what we think Christmas is about. It's kind of this time of, man, we see the future coming and the future's bright and all of us who have been around for a while are celebrating that. We think of Christmas as a time of peace. You know, it's kind of like the Martha Stewart Christmas dinner, you know, where you got the centerpiece and all the good food and, you know, the centerpiece is in the center because that's where you keep the gravy for those of us who like it, you know, so we like the Martha Stewart pictures. We like Norman Rockwell paintings of Christmas because it's mangers and it's angels seeing bright lights, and it's Mary giving birth to the Christ child. It all seems to be this glorious, beautiful picture of peace, but here's what I want you to understand. Christmas is anything but that. Yeah, I'm telling you. How many of you have ever thought about Christmas as a time of war? Yeah, any of you who've ever experienced Black Friday prior to Amazon Prime or eBay or Walmart pickup know what I'm talking about, right? Listen, Man, how many of you remember the Cabbage Patch Wars? Remember down at the bottom right? Made the nightly news. Folks were so fighting over these Cabbage Patch dolls at Christmas that literally, you know, police got called out to break up fights over ladies wanting to get the last of the, the freckle-faced Cabbage Patch. But, but let me share with you uh, my most frequent uh, thought when I think of Black Friday is where I came from out of the metroplex of Dallas, the city of Allen, which is a big retail center for 6.5 million people. Uh, this Best Buy picture down on the left-hand side What you can't grasp of that is, that's one week before Christmas. No kidding. They would start camping out the week before Christmas. I mean, literally, it's like a tailgate party. Tent's they've got their grills. It is absolutely amazing. And believe it or not, we would actually get fairly cold this time of year. And then once Best Buy opens up, this is Best Buy once it starts right there in the middle on the bottom. But but on the top up here, this was the most ridiculous stuff that I had ever seen when it came uh, to Black Friday things. When you looked at this parking lot on the top left, this was an outlet retail mall that was about four times the size of the one here we have in Branson. I mean, it, it was that large. It was that massive. It would back up traffic not only on the six lanes that fed this retail mall, but it would back up traffic on Interstate 75 about six miles north of the exit because the traffic would grind to a stop. You could not move. It took about an hour about an hour per person as they circled the parking lot to find a parking place. And my best story ever, my most favorite was, which it wasn't for the individual involved, but there was a guy who saw a parking place come open, and he jumped out of his wife's car, and he sprinted across this packed parking lot, and he stood in the parking place with his body. I don't know about you, but, you know, if you take the human body and you put it up against a 4,800-pound vehicle, let me tell you how this is going to go every time. Not just that time, but every time he stood his ground and the lady who was wanting that parking plot spot gave her signal and she proceeded to park there as he falls underneath the car holding on to the grill. No kidding. This is a true story. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, only during Christmas war, right? You know, so Christmas, Christmas has not always been a time of peace. Sometimes, sometimes Christmas can be a time of chaos. Well, believe it or not, we're going to be looking at a story today that I, I bet you have misread over and over again. And not that you've mispronounced any of the words. You've got all the words correct. You even know some of the Greek because we've studied it so many times. But as we look at this story today of Gabriel coming to this virgin named Mary, and he starts to share a story with her. Here's something that, that you may not have thought of previously. The message that he gives her, believe it or not, was already a message given to another woman. And some of you would say, oh, Elizabeth. El-. No, no, good, good guess, though, because she is a part of the Christmas story. But that the message given to this girl named Mary was a message that was already given in a place called the garden to a lady named Eve. This message that that is given to Mary about this coming Messiah. And we want to think about this as a a little baby, helpless, and it's in a manger, and it's beautiful and romantic and emotional, and it's going to be this time of great peace. But literally, that's not why the baby came, was to bring peace. And, And I don't want to disturb you today, but that's not why the baby came. The baby came because God himself told this lady named Eve, that there was going to come one from her line, her seed was going to show up, and he was going to stomp the head of the one who introduced sin into humanity. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up, and he's telling Mary this story about this great one that's coming, and Mary had no idea that what Gabriel's talking about was the fulfillment of the promise God made all the way back to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And you know what promise that was? I'm going to come make war on sin and the one who brought it. So so here's what I want you to focus on today, and I don't want it to ruin your Martha Stewart picture of Christmas. I don't want you to go home and take down your Norman Rockwell painting off the wall. I just want to give you a sense of reality of what Christmas is actually all about. For church, here's what Christmas is about. Christmas is all about God making war against your sin and my sin and the sin of the world and the one who introduced it to humanity. That's what we're going to study today. Not this warm Cuddly wrapped in swaddling cloth picture, but this idea of a king that's going to return and he's going to set things right when he comes back. So, So, study that with me this morning. Give yourself a new perspective of Christmas as we pray. Father, we love you. Thank you that we can come before you this morning with this idea of Christmas. And obviously, Christ is the root word there, mas meaning a reference to more. And so, we want more of Christ. And so, Father, as we gather here today, we pray that you would do what you've promised us to do. Just gather here with us. Will you tell us two or more gathered in your name? You come, and you're there in a special way. Father, welcome to this time. This is your celebration, not ours. Welcome. Welcome, Christ our King, to this party we have for you, this celebration we call worship, which is all about you. But but as you come, Jesus, we ask that you do one thing for us. We pray that you would fill us with your wisdom this morning. Promise to us in this book we call the Bible in the book of James chapter 1. It says, if I come and, and I feel like I lack wisdom, I can ask you for it. and You will give it to me generously. We ask for that Christmas present this morning. We ask you for this gift of wisdom that if we open up and as we open up this text and we start talking about this angel Gabriel and we start talking about this Virgin Mary, a story that I have to confess and admit to you has become all too common to me. Father, sometimes I'm not in awe as I should be, as I read this. I miss the supernatural component of this because I've looked at way too many nativity scenes. Father, I pray right now that you would remove that hardened scale from our eye. That, Father, you would give us your wisdom to see this true story, the magnitude of what was actually being prophesied to Mary. This wasn't about this helpless child in a manger. Father, this was about a warrior king coming back to set things right. And so, Father, give us your wisdom to see and to understand and grasp. But, Father, more so, that, Father, this Christmas would have a little different view for us. That as we gather around trees, we sit with family over meals and celebrate fellowship and gifts, that, Father, we would be reminded that if there's anything we should be focused on this Christmas, it is us choosing to be on the side of the King who has come to defeat our sin. That, Father, we would seek to be holy and right and just during this season, more so than any other out of the year. So give us your wisdom to grasp. Give us a greater wisdom to apply. And Father, we will praise you for that in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. If you would study with me this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And again, this is a Christmas story, and I'm, I'm going to do like the Apostle Peter said. The Apostle Peter in his first letter said this in First Peter. He said, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just reminding you of what you do know. And so that's all I want to do this morning is to remind you of a story you're so familiar with that if you're like me, you overlook it when you read it, and we start to miss the supernatural nature of this story. So don't miss any part of this. Starting there in verse 26, it reads this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. So a couple things you need to know real quick. Uh, During the sixth month, that refers to Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, it's not six month of a king, six month of a governor. It's referring to the pregnancy of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Uh, if you've ever been to Sight and Sound in their Christmas story, they do a good job with this, uh, presenting this from a biblical standpoint. And, and so the sixth month is this relative that is going to kind of nurture Mary after she receives her news. Now, remember, Luke is our writer. Remember, he is a Gentile. He's one of the non-Jewish writers of the New Testament. There's only a handful of those. And so, again... What we have here is a non-Jewish writer and he is writing to non-Jewish people. And so he gives us some detail that you wouldn't find like in the book of Matthew. Uh, One of those is when he gives the location, he doesn't simply mention Nazareth. Nazareth was a very insignificant village uh, in the Jewish area. Uh, of Israel. But here's the deal. Most of the non-Jew people would have known nothing about Nazareth. So what does he do? He mentions the Roman region of Galilee. All these non-Jewish people, uh, these Greek speakers, they would have known where Galilee was. So most of them, as they read this story, don't have the maps like me and you do. You can Google up pretty much anything at this point. And so they wouldn't have this type of map. They would be looking and thinking in their mind's eyes, you know, where's Nazareth located? And so he clarifies by giving them the word of Galilee. He adds the supernatural by introducing the idea of an angel actually being sent out as a messenger. This is not the first time Gabriel's been included. And in fact, most people believe this is the same angel that appeared uh, back in Daniel's visions as well, the one that was held up by the enemy, that Michael had to be sent to free, so to speak. And so we have this messenger angel that is quite common in the New and the Old Testament. Verse 27. He appeared to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Uh, The word I want to draw your attention to is the word engaged. You've heard this before, I'm sure, but nistevo is the word in Greek. It's a twofold process, engagement or marriage. The word nistevo actually means to be betrothed to or promised to or guaranteed to. It it was actually a contract. So, So believe it or not, engagement back in this culture was a contract. And so what has happened already is that you've got this, this young girl named Mary and, and Joseph, who would have been older, would have come to Mary's dad. Mary would have been about 13 to 16. That was the most common age of betrothal in the Jewish custom. Um, I'm just going to tell you this. Your pastor was not ready for marriage at 13, so I'm glad we've kind of changed a few things. Uh, and and so, so 13 to 16, so I want you to grasp that. Um, my youngest was on the platform this morning. She is headed towards 12. That makes my skin kind of crawl to think about her getting married next year. That, that's a little bothersome to her dad, a little bit bothersome. So Joseph would have been older, and here's why we know Joseph was older, because believe it or not, marriage back in those days wasn't as much much about emotion as it was about work arrangements. And so Joseph would have had some money. Here's why we know that. For Mary to be betrothed or pledged or guaranteed or promised to him, he would have had to pay Dad. Now see, I'm all for this part of it. I'm just telling you now. I'm all about this part. I cannot wait. Um, my girls are worth a million, I mean millions. And so I just, I can't wait till we get this part done. And so Joseph would have come and he would put down his down payment. You're kind of like, so you got to pay to marry the girl. Well, well yes. If you remember how their culture was, the whole family worked towards the family business. Now, whether that was in a shop in town or out on the farm, out in the middle of the plain, what dad is about to lose is not just a daughter, dad is about to lose a worker. No, no joke, this is why it was done this way. Dad's about to lose a very useful hand out on the farm or at the shop, and so this husband-to-be, the groom-to-be, is actually coming to him, giving him this payment so he can lose this worker. Now, in addition to that, there was a contract they actually filled out. So, so this is what we call the first phase of marriage. This is engagement, betrothal. You actually had to sign a contract which was witnessed to by a priest. And so the priest, this was a very religious process, the priest would oversee this. So this is a very binding relationship already. Like in our culture, this engagement process is virtually the equivalent of actual marriage. You you think about when you get married, you go down, you get your your marriage certificate, and then a pastor or a judge or somebody oversees it and signs it, and and you don't even have to pay the dad. Uh, I mean, it's less. There's less in the American marriage system than there was in engagement in the Jewish system. So the only thing that does not happen is that the, the husband to be and the wife to be do not move in together yet. They have not experienced that. There's been no physical intimacy at this point. And we haven't had the big celebration. In case you don't know there is a big week long party that's going to come later. So so engagement that gets fulfilled and then we have the actual marriage ceremony that's at very minimum seven days long. I mean it's a full week long process. And so we have all this taking place. This is the timing of our angel's visit to this young girl. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Man, I can't begin to tell you how casual this sounds. Um, Greetings, hiero is the word in Greek. It's literally like, rejoice, be happy. Now imagine, 13 to 16, you've more than likely never seen an angel. I'm almost 55, have not seen one other than my wife. Boy, that was really good, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. All right. So, so here's the deal. Other than her, I haven't seen one, right? So 13 to 16, angel shows up and the angel's like, hey, what's up girl? No kidding. I'm just like, he's just chilled. Hey, be glad, be happy, rejoice. And then can you imagine her response initially? Be glad, be happy, rejoice. I don't hear it. All I see is light. And so he's kind of like, greetings. And then he tells her this, you are a favored woman. Harato'o is the word in Greek and it means manifest grace. Y'all remember last week we talked about what grace is? Unmerited favor. That means you've done nothing to earn it. You're receiving God's favor even though you don't deserve that favor. Manifest means it's visible. It's going to be displayed. So here's what he says to her. Hey girl, you about to display grace. Now she has no idea what he's talking about yet. So, so, so that probably doesn't calm her a whole lot. This, in fact, would have been very confusing. We're going to read, in fact, Luke gets to that point, that it's very confusing to her. But but he is speaking very casually to her. He says, you're going to display grace. Like, like there's going to be unmerited favor you receive, and you're going to show it. Well, those of you who've ever carried a child, Mary's going to show it. I mean, she's going to be the one who displays this unmerited favor, this grace. But, but notice this. But she was deeply troubled, you think? Uh, "dia Terrasso is the word. It actually means confused. She understands the words. But, but have you ever had someone tell you something, and you understood the words, but you didn't really understand? I mean, you understood the words. The words didn't confuse you. But what it actually meant confused you. Well, that's, that's a 13 to 16-year-old girl who is trying to process all this, who has just been told by an angelic being she's never seen, you're going to manifest God's grace. You have found favor with God. And this would have been pretty shocking to her. This would have been very troubling. She was deeply troubled by a statement, wondering what kind of greeting this... Yeah, yeah. what kind of greeting is this? You know, I get amazed by different people's ringtones. This is an angel giving you something you've never heard before. So she's a little bit confused by all that's taking place here. But then, then he gets back to reality. Then the angel told her. So I, for me, if he'd have started here, it'd have been better. But no, this is this is the order. Do not be afraid, Mary. Have you ever had someone, like with your kids in particular, you're talking to them, you know that, that they know that you're talking to them, but they really don't dial into you until you call their name? Like, have you ever had to do that with your kids before? No, I mean, Caleb, look at me. And when I say, Is that, boom, then it dials in. Well, that, that's exactly what just happened. So she's listening, she's troubled, and then when he says Mary, then it kind of dials back in for her. Okay, so he's speaking specifically to me. Obviously, he is here, he is real, and he knows my name. For you have found favor with God. Verse 31, now listen. All right, so how many of you have ever heard of Dr. Charles Stanley? Anybody ever heard of it? Yeah, okay. What is Dr. Stanley's favorite byword? Now listen. Y'all didn't know he was simply quoting Scripture, did you? Yeah, I mean, it's holy. I, yeah. So, so, this is Doctor Stanley. All of us have these bywords, these filler words. I call them. He got his straight from the angel. So, if you're going to pick one to be your filler word bywords, pick it from scripture. This is a good one. Now, listen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Okay. So here, here's the deal. All of a sudden, we're starting to trend back into a message that Mary would not have linked to Eve, but I'm sharing with you, when you interpret Scripture through the light of Scripture, that's the part I want you to remember today. When we interpret the meaning of Scripture, it is always interpreted through the light of other Scripture. It will not be in disagreement with other Scripture, but will be in full agreement with other Scripture. And so when he tells her, you're going to have a son, we know she's from the line of David. We know that Joseph is from the line of David. We know that what was prophesied to David was the Messiah would come from him. Now we go all the way back past the David messianic prophecies to a prophecy given to a girl named Eve way back in the garden. And all of a sudden, we start to get a picture of what God is actually doing with what he's about to share with Mary. Look at verse 32. He will be great. You know, th- the word great is the word magas in Greek, and it means loud. Now, now he- here's how I do not picture Jesus. Do y'all picture Jesus as the one that every place he showed up, he was the loudest mouth in the room? I, I don't picture Jesus that way. And so we know it's not a reference to like vocally loud. It's a word that in Greek means loud from the standpoint of everybody hears and knows him. You do understand, everybody heard and knew him. Here we are in 20, almost 20, and around the world they know him. And so again, what we've got going on here is this fact that he is going to be megas, he is going to be important, he's going to be large, he's going to be loud. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, for those of you who underline or highlight in your Bibles, I I want you to underline this. I have read over this and read over this and have missed it hundreds of times until you go back and read what it meant to be the Son of the Most High. This is in reference to judgment. This is in reference to judgment. So the very first thing said about him is he's going to be loud, proud, and important, and his primary role is going to be that of judgment. Judgment of what? Judgment of the sins of the world. So the very first purpose listed by the angel of this baby who is going to come is the purpose of judgment. You do understand judgment's not a time of peace. Judgment is a time of war. And so the very first purpose mentioned about this helpless Christ child that is coming is for the purpose of creating war, of creating a sense of judgment over the sins of the world. The same thing that was told to Eve all the way back in the garden. Your seed, it's going to have, he's going to have his heel nipped at by this thing, by this evil, by this sin, by this perpetrator, yet he is going to stomp the head of that one. And so all of a sudden, we're starting to see these prophecies come together because the very first role of this coming child is going to be that of judge. So understand that there is a purpose of salvation here. There's a purpose of grace here. There's a purpose of mercy. But the very first role mentioned is that of judge. It is a time of war. He is coming to make war and the Lord God will give him the throne. Okay, So, so he's coming as the judge, and his throne is the very throne. It's the thronos of David. Now, now, who is going to be seated on the throne of David? Those of you who know your Old Testament know it's going to be the Messiah. And so the first two things that he mentions deal solely with the fact that he is authoritative, and he is coming as the key authority, the Messiah that's been prophesied about David, and he is going to do one thing, and that is to judge. And, in fact, you remember Jesus said this, right, about himself. I did not come to bring peace. I came to separate father from son, mother from daughter. Does that sound like a peaceful Martha Stewart dinner around the gravy bowl? Or a Norman Rockwell painting where where everything is just happy and there's lights and gifts. This is a time of war. This is a time of war. Church, we we can't even imagine. I'm glad in our nativities we can't picture all the spiritual war that was taking place because it would really change our perception of the nativity scenes. Because you do understand, Satan was aware this was coming. I mean, how did Satan tempt Jesus when he was in the desert? With Scripture. So Satan knew the prophecies. And so he's looking out for this child. So what does Satan do? He causes Herod to be schizophrenic, and Herod tries to kill all the babies two years and down, right? Does that sound like a time of peace or a time of war? It's a time of war. Because Satan knew the warrior was actually coming for him. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. You do know this. Jacob is a reference to Israel. And the church is a part of the true Israel. You know, know, it's not just Israel because of a geographic spot. It is Israel because Abraham's righteousness was credited to him because of what? Faith. So it's all of those who have entered into a faith-based relationship with God and with Christ Jesus the Messiah. And so we're a part of this house of Jacob. We've been grafted in to this house. And so notice what this Messiah is coming back to do. He's coming back to rule over his house of Jacob. And his kingdom will have no end. This is absolutely a quote from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He talks about the Messiah's rule will have no end. He's going to be over all of Israel, the true Israel forever and ever and ever. But only after he judges. You understand this comes after judgment. There is going to be a time of peace, but there will be no peace until sin has been judged and removed, until the battle, the final battle with Satan is over. And so understand again, Jesus didn't come to make peace. He came to make war. All right, so now we're back to a 13 to 16-year-old young girl who doesn't know all the theology. She's not thinking about Eve in the garden. Where did she get stuck? You're going to conceive and have a child. I understand why she would have gotten stuck there. So notice, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Go figure. Mary's very practical. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Church, this word overshadow, it it literally means to like overtake or to become one. So so the Holy Spirit's going to do something very unique here that's never been experienced before. He's going to overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. Remember what I said, this term of judgment, the son of the most high, the son of God is another reference to that. So so when the resume starts being listed out for this coming baby, the resume starts with judgment and the resume ends with what? Judgment. We think of Christmas as a time of peace. God saw it as, I just put down the battle banner in the front yard of the devil we're here, we're here, because what did Jesus do, and church, please hear me, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me, Christmas is a time of peace, it, it, it is a time of mercy, it's a time of unmerited favor, it's a time of manifest grace, it was the coming of the Christ child to create what was going to be the true house of Jacob, but, but you can't miss this, what Jesus actually came to do was what you and I cannot do for ourselves, what we cannot do, we can't fight and defeat sin, So so Jesus, Jesus is that one who came to take on your bully. Did did you ever think about that? He's the one who came to take on the bully named Satan because you cannot defeat that bully on your own. Let let me share with you. This is a real life story for me. This is Sheffield High School and Elementary. Uh, The elementary is kind of over here where the trees are. So this is the high school. The elementary is off to the right hand side. This is in the city of Memphis. This is where I grew up. My first eight years, was born in Memphis, went to Sheffield uh, when they started the busing process in Memphis and moved me out of our neighborhood. That's when we moved back to Mississippi, and I got my farm upbringing after that. So so kind of started out in the city. We lived on Goodlett Street, the street that you see right here where Sheffield is. That is Goodlett. So we actually lived on the street of the school. And so I was one of those kids who walked to school every day because my house was about 400 yards from the school. Both ways, whether the elementary or the high school. 400 yards, that's what I would do every day. And especially when it was days like this where it was sunny and it was really nice. And so this was a little house that we, similar to what we lived in, you know, a little 1,200, 1,400 square foot. Man, I mean, it was middle class America in Memphis back in those days. It was great. The only thing we didn't have was a picket fence. But we had everything else. We had a chain link fence, and so we had everything. I mean, we were just a middle-class family, and I'm walking to school, and here I am in the first grade. This is not me, by the way. I was much cuter, but, you know, here I am, you know, first grade. Just picture this. So walking to Sheffield Elementary, and, and y'all literally, like my first week of first grade, I ran into this sixth-grade girl. Not, not like ran into, but I came into the acquaintance of this sixth-grade girl, who had made it her life mission to make all first graders absolutely miserable. This was her job. Unfortunately, she lived right around the corner from me. And so me and like two to three of my friends, every day as we would walk home, she would kick our backpacks, boom, boom. She kept a straw with spit wads all the time. (coughs) (coughs) All the way home, (coughs) She would threaten to take our lunch money. So this was, this was bullying before we knew it was bullying. You know, now everybody knows it's bullying, right? We didn't know it was bullying. That's, that's what it was. She was a big bully. Um, and I mean, you know, my youngest, if my youngest is my most competitive, why don't you just hit her right in her mouth? You know, she's, she's a fireball. I was like this tall and she was like this tall. And so, you know, every day you just walk, boom, boom kicking. She would step on the back of your shoe. Y'all ever had that happen? Drive you crazy, right? She would do it like all the way home. She would just do this day after day. And th- this lasted about the first month of school until, let, listen, man, this is the coolest thing ever. Our next door neighbor was a high school football player. And my mom used to babysit Danny. So, so Danny and I were like really good buddies. Like, like we would throw ball together. Danny would come over and invest in me because my mom had babysat him for for about six, seven years. And, And so Danny was my buddy. And one day, Danny got out of football practice early. And as we're walking down the sidewalk, he's out in the front yard. His house was right next to mine. So he was watching this whole thing. I didn't even notice he was there because I was so focused on the fact my backpack's getting kicked again and stepping on the back of my shoes. And you're shooting spit wads in the back of my hair. And I'm just thinking, someday when you're asleep, I will, I will take a two before and take care of you. But but again, just trying to get home and, and just get that walk over with because other than that, school was great. But all of a sudden, I looked up, and here comes Big Danny. He still got his football gear on. He still got all this stuff on him. And he, and he looked like a giant to first grader. Danny was, you know, like nine feet tall. He really wasn't, but he felt like he was. And he walks right up to me and this girl, and it, the whole just whole processional, there's like 20 kids, the whole processional just stops. Because you know how it is when you're a first grader? High school kids are like, I mean, they're your heroes. I mean, you look at those football players and you're like, dude, that's, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I mean, you, you want to be them. I wanted to be Danny because Danny was this star athlete. He truly was. He was a junior in high school, and he was like an all-state type player. And he walks out, and he looks at me, and he's looking at her. And I didn't realize he'd been watching this whole thing. And he kind of leans down a little bit. He says, hey, man, is everything cool? Remember, this was the 70s, so everything's cool, you know, groovy, you know, 70s, big bell-bottom, yeah, you know. It. Is everything cool? And not wanting to be a tattletale, because I'm not about to voice in front of all my friends, no, this girl's beating me up. I mean, I know she's a giant, but I'm not about to voice that out loud. I'm not a tattletale. I'm just going to take it, suck it up like a little man. Yeah, Danny, man, everything's cool. And he did the coolest thing ever. Now, now, again, before you start thinking bad of my buddy Danny, he didn't, like, beat up this sixth-grade girl. He didn't do that. But he kind of changed his standing position. He got, like, right there to her nose. He said, It's a good thing everything is cool with him because I would hate to have to make it cool. You know what I mean? Y'all, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I don't think I saw that girl the rest of the year. It was like Jimmy Hoffa all over again. She just disappeared. I mean, I don't know what happened to that girl. But I will tell you this, I didn't have my backpack kicked anymore. Nobody stepped on my shoes or threatened to take my lunch money. In fact, I would get lunch money sometimes just put in my little cubby hole. I'm thinking she was paying. I'm not, I don't know what was going on. But, but Danny, Danny did something that I couldn't do at that moment for myself. He stepped in to do something I could not quite accomplish. Now let's jump back 2,000 years a little helpless baby born in a manger, right? And God looking at all of humanity and saying, you know what, some of them, (laughs) some of them are trying. They really are. I mean, there was Noah. Some of them are trying. They're really trying to fight the snake, and they're really trying to fight sin, but they need somebody to fight for them. In fact, they need somebody to come and fight for them, but also fight with them. And so, church, I want you to understand, Jesus was sent. He was sent to fight. And to fight for you and to fight for me. But to fight together. In fact, that's our challenge today is to make sure me and you are fighting on the right side, which is the side of Jesus. Again, please hear me. Not a helpless babe in a manger. Not a helpless 30 to 33-year-old man that hung on a cross and died. We're fighting on the side of the one who's going to come back on a great white horse someday. Right? And he's going to stomp, stomp the head of the enemy. The one that me and you can't beat on our own. That's what Christmas is all about. So, here's some things I want you to consider this Christmas season. Number one, I want you to get it. I want you to get your head wrapped around the fact that this is not supposed to be a time of peace. Yeah, we're going to try to make it that way. We're going to try to settle down and get with family. We're going to exchange gifts. And please hear me that that is a great practice as we do that. But what the church needs to realize is that until Jesus comes back again, y'all, this is a battle. This is a fight. And if there's ever been a time of the year when we need to focus on the fight we're in, it should be Christmas. Parents, you want to remind your kids of something important? Remind them that Jesus died for them and they are to fight against sin because that's the war Jesus is still waging. If there's a time you should be focused on your own sin and confessing that and trying to turn from that, it should be the Christmas season. Because that's why he came, was to start this process again. You can just see God the Father, man, with a big old star saying, we're here, and it's on. It's on. That thing that I told Eve way back there, now's the time. And church, here we are living right in the middle of it. So we need to be focused on what Christmas is really about. Number two, reject pride and self-dependency. You cannot fight this battle on your own. Listen, here's the deal, in case you don't know this. There's going to be a lot of good people that end up in a place that we believe is real called hell. Let let me say that again. There's going to be a lot of good people that end up in a place, a very real place called hell. Why? Because I'm just going to treat people the way I think they should be treated. I'm going to try to live by the golden rule. So, so in other words, you're going to try to live an acceptable life all by yourself. Let me clarify this for you. You can never be good enough to impress God. Not, not once. If you and I could have done it on our own, would Jesus have come? No. Would Jesus have died? No. Would he have to come again to stomp the head? of the evil one that got me and you, you do understand this, got me and you kicked out of a place called paradise. That was the Garden of Eden. And we got kicked out because we can't handle him on our own. So I don't don't want you to go into this fight thinking you can manage your sin by yourself. You need help. You need the help of Christ Jesus. You need the help in the presence of his Holy Spirit. And you need the help of the people that are in this room. Because we're all on this same army together. We come alongside each other during Christmas time, but all year long, so we can help each other during those times of battle. Number three, it is a choice that you must make if you want to defeat the snake. I guess God made me this way. The only good snake is a dead one, and I still stick with that. I don't care about kinds, colors, or varieties, shotgun works on them all. There's only one thing, though, that works with the snake. And that is the heel of Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can't beat him. Peter even warned you. Peter says this, he is like this lion just wanting to devour you. And yet you can't can't do much with him, but the one who came in the manger has got his number. And all who follow him. So I want you to focus on choosing then to defeat the sin that Christ has given you the ability to do. You don't want to take Satan up, head up. So what do we do, we, we choose to fight against the sin nature that's in us. I choose then to pursue after righteousness. That's defeating the snake. I choose to be obedient to Jesus. That's defeating the snake. I choose to love other people. That's defeating the snake. So, so we have to take our part in the role, in the war, but we can't have the role that only Jesus can have. Uphold your end. Number four, avoid judgment and be made right. This would be my challenge to you today, and we're going to enter into a time of response here in just seconds. Remember how the, the resume of Jesus started? It started with judgment and ended with what? Judgment. Jesus came to judge the sins of the world. That includes all of us in this room. Someday the Bible says I will stand before him and he will not be a little baby in a manger. The Bible says he is going to sit upon a throne that the scriptures call the Bema, the judgment seat, the great white throne. He's going to be seated on that throne. And the only thing that is going to matter for me in that moment is whether or not I chose to submit myself to the one named Jesus. This morning, I challenge you that if you've never done that, use this moment that God brought you here. There's not a single person here by coincidence. This is the day the Lord has made. He brought you to this church to hear about your war, the war that you're right in the middle of. And there's only one winning it. The only winning is when Christ on that throne looks at me and says, Hey, Justin, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. That's the only win here. And so, how do we close? We're going to have a merry Christmas. How are we going to have a merry Christmas this year? Because we're going to focus on the fact Jesus came to defeat my sin, and I'm going to join in that battle with Him. I'm going to submit my life to Him, and I'm going to avoid judgment because I'm going to be merry in the person of Christmas. Because Christmas is about a person; it's not about a location. It's not about gifts. It's not about a tree. All those things remind us and point us to him, but Christmas is about this person who came to make war against my sin. My question to you this morning is this, are you ready to make war? If there's a sin issue that you're battling today, When we stand and pray in just a minute, I'm going to challenge you. Take that to the Lord. I mean, take it to Him. Lord, this is where I'm at. It is fear. It's anxiety. It's discontent in my walk. It is this bitterness. It's this unrighteous anger. Whatever it may be, join in the war this morning. Or maybe, or maybe you're here saying, Justin, I've never even been in that war, but today I want to be. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Because I have a group of people that wait just for you. Every Sunday, they wait just for you. In fact, when we stand up, they're going to be standing right over here by this exit sign, these double doors, and all they want you to do is come and say, hey, I want to join in this war with Jesus, and they're going to take you to a place that's more private, and they're going to go through some biblical material with you to explain to you very carefully what it means to join on the side of Jesus, to be a part of your own war against your own sin that Jesus came to fight for you. If you're interested in that today, again, they'll be standing right over here. They'll even wait a little bit after the service is over if that is more comfortable for you. But let me challenge you. Use this moment for something useful. Don't be thinking right now, hey, we're, we're just about done. We're about to go eat lunch. That's all great. But man, use this moment for something more spiritual than that. Use this response time to get in dialogue with the Lord and, and enter into this battle this Christmas season.